0: this is the time in your life when you still have your choices and it goes by so fast when you're a teenager you think you can do anything and you do your 20s are a blur 30s you raise your family you make a little money and you think to yourself what happened to my 20s 40s you grow a little pot belly you grow another chin the music starts to get too loud one of your old girlfriends from high school becomes a grandmother 50s you have a minor surgery you'll call it a procedure but it's a surgery. Sixties, you'll have a major surgery. The music is still loud, but it doesn't matter because you can't hear it anyway. Seventies, you and the wife retire to Fort Lauderdale. Start eating dinner at two o'clock in the afternoon. You have lunch around 10, breakfast the night before. Spend most of your time wandering around malls looking for the ultimate soft yogurt and muttering, how come the kids don't call? How come the kids don't call? The eighties, you'll have a major stroke. You end up babbling to some Jamaican nurse who your wife can't stand but who you call Mama.
1: Any questions? I'm depressed. Almost certainly more than I was two weeks ago. Certainly more than I was five years ago. I think a lot of people are. We're in uncertain times. A pandemic. A silent killer is ripping through the world. You know, it's probably not the apocalypse, but as far as apocalypse cosplay goes, it's pretty convincing. I've been under a shelter at home order for over a week now. I drink more and earlier in the day. I wonder how long it would have to stretch for my great desire to see my family and friends in person again turns to me longing for a world. I'll never see again. I know, I know, extreme, maudlin, but I still have to wonder how much of this depression showed up when COVID-19 did? How much of this is only coming to the surface because the world's in turmoil? What internal issues, conflicts and failings have I not resolved? only to have them supernova under pressure. If there can be a silver lining, maybe I can use this conflict not only to deal with the baggage I've brought with me, but possibly to clarify my purpose in life, both understanding what it was in the past and going forward. Can there be therapy in the trenches? This is the dilemma of Mitch Robbins, a 39-year-old husband and father of two. He and his two friends plan a yearly vacation. But lately, they've been getting a little adventurous. Instigated by his friend Ed, we meet our characters on the streets of Pamblona, Spain during the running of the Bulls. Mitch gets gored in the butt. He pleads with the Spanish-speaking doctor to not accidentally sew up his butthole. What's the reason for these vacations? Why are they so dangerous? And is anyone getting anything out of it? One year later, nothing has changed. Indeed, life has only gotten worse for the trio of friends. Marriages are straining, freedoms are shrinking, kids are pulling away, and dark secrets are suddenly revealed. They are all subsumed in a pandemic of their own, male fragility, and they are doing everything they can to hide the symptoms. And so, at their lowest point, one last vacation, a cattle drive from New Mexico to Colorado, is this what turns the tide. My name is Justin Robert Young, this is my podcast, Crystal, where I talk about Billy Crystal movies from the 90s to distract myself from other things. This episode, City Slickers.
0: Do you know what the secret of life is? No, what? This. Your finger? One thing, just one thing. You stick to that and everything else don't mean shit. That's great, but what's the one thing?
1: That's what you gotta figure out. Our main characters are different flavors of city males who feel that they've been weaned off true masculinity. Bruno Kirby's character is hypersexual and the most expressively masculine of the three. Daniel Stern's character is sexless and henpecked. Billy Crystal's Mitch is in the middle of the three and yet is feeling the effects of his midlife crisis before both of them. The cattle drive is there to help them find answers. And yet, they find troubling masculinity at the ranch. Two cowboys get pretty rapey with the only female character amongst the Taurus. That is before it is set straight by the ultimate paragon of American male virility, The Old Cowboy, Curly, played by Jack Palance. If we can, for a moment, reflect on why the cowboy is such an enduring symbol for American masculinity. Willingly isolated from society, a cowboy must have morals that are reinforced by actions and decisions constantly. As there's no one to complain to, they're forced to solve problems as they identify them. Now, are these qualities as mystical as they are portrayed here? Probably not. My guess is that ranching creates plenty of damaged people too. In that light, Curly is just a strange permutation of a noble savage myth from the lens of our beta males in Manhattan. But still, Mitch makes peace with his guru. He interacts with the most primal of functions. He helps deliver a calf from a dying pregnant cow. And just then, his spirit guide dies from a heart attack. Sitting upright, looking into the prairie. Death coming after life as it always does. The disruption is a crisis within a crisis that sends the group spiraling. The cook becomes too drunk, destroys their food and breaks his leg. The rape cowboys, now the only experienced hands amongst the tourists, get drunk and terrorize the customers before abandoning them. Stranded under uncertainty, our trio finds moral and emotional clarity. The rest of the gang, including a puzzling stand-in for ice cream magnates Ben and Jerry and the woman character, decide to go ahead and leave the herd behind. Yet our trio finds resolve, the strength that can only come from admittance of weakness. Ed confesses that his troubled relationship with his philandering absentee father is the reason why he himself is reluctant to become a father. Phil's anger toward himself for suppressing his feelings during his marriage and career boil over, allowing him a forgiveness of self. But it is Mitch who makes the clearest revelation. His morose appraisal of his own station in life had fatally corrupted his ability to enjoy the things that mattered. His own self-pity allowed him to take his wife, the only real female character with agency in the movie, and more importantly, his children, for granted. This is discovered in a dramatic action sequence when Norman, the calf Mitch birthed under the watchful eye of Curly, is swept downriver. Mitch jumps in, but he too loses control and heads toward a dangerous rapid. He is caught by Phil, who is eventually caught by Ed, saving everyone involved. The lesson, a moral decision to protect what matters most will be protected by your community and you will live a richer life for having tried. I have to say, the movie has aged well in an era when therapy and depression are more openly discussed. In presenting three different archetypes of masculinity, the playboy, the pussy whip, the office drone, we realize that these issues aren't specific to one lifestyle. We all have feelings. And sometimes a crisis can help us work through them and in the process, Identify that one thing that matters going forward.
0: Good evening. The stunning overthrow of Mikhail Gorbachev by communist hardliners dominates the news this Monday. Gorbachev was reported under house arrest as Soviet tanks took up positions throughout Moscow.
1: And now we come to our disaster of the episode. A reminder that although we are currently living through bizarre, unsettling times, we are not alone in history. Indeed, these kinds of wild swings are the rule and not the exception somewhere around the world. City Slickers came out in 1991 and this is what I am choosing for this episode. The August Coup of the Soviet Union. Now, the Soviet Union fell by the end of the year, but this is really the big death rattle. Let's go ahead and set the stage. At this point, the Soviet Union's kind of fallen apart. There's obviously gigantic economic problems and you have a reformer. At the top of the Communist Party. That man's name is Mikhail Gorbachev. Gorbachev puts in glasnost and perestroika. These are reforms that will uh, open up how the party is operating so it can slowly dissolve. Here's the only problem there are some people that don't like that, not one bit. And indeed, Gorbachev is taken on vacation by this coup attempt, had all of his communications cut off, and is now sequestered as eight men assume control of the Communist Party. So now this is something that I want to do with these segments, is let's put yourself in the mind of the people that are just watching this go on exactly the same position we're in now with this virus and and everything that's kind of going along with it. You've suffered under the Soviet Union. You feel like there's a moment where there could be a change. The, The problems with the government could be getting better. It's actually taking steps toward healing itself. And then, boom, it's all gone in one second. Now this coup attempt is betting that they know how these Soviet subjects are gonna react. They're gonna be thrilled. Enough of this reform talk. Let's go back to the good old days. Well, they're wrong. The Red Army tanks had rolled into the heart of the city and not even heroic gestures could stop them. to become pretty clear that this is a very bad coup attempt, here's just an amazing talking head quote from a former KGB operative.
0: Well I've seen quite a few KGB orchestrated coups while being in the center and I must say that this is a very very unusual coup.
1: Even if everybody kind of thinks that this coup is doomed to fail, there still is the question of how long that will take and exactly how bad the country's going to get before it ends. Stop me if that feels familiar. In fact, even some of the talking heads that I found say that this might end in civil war. It doesn't. It only lasts a few days. And part of the reason why, getting back to our city slickers-inspired theme of crisis bringing forth Moral clarity rewarded. The president of Russia, a one time Gorbachev critic, seizes the moment, stands up against the coup, gets on top of a tank, and speaks through a megaphone to the people of Moscow. The coup is vanquished, Gorbachev comes back, and within a few months, the Communist Party of the Soviet Republics is dissolved. So here's some fun facts about the movie. Some I can't find is so Billy Crystal says, hello, like hello, the entire movie. And I don't really know whether or not it's like a catchphrase or it was just something that Billy Crystal found really funny at the time. Like, was it in the script? Were they trying to get that over? Although this was a starring vehicle for Crystal. The real winner of the movie is actor Jack Palance as Curly. Initially, he's unable to take the role because of a previous commitment. Crystal actually approached Charles Bronson for the role. But Billy Crystal in his uh, autobiography says he got uh, turned down very rudely by Bronson because Bronson thought it was an insult that Curly died so soon into the movie. Not only did Palance eventually resolve his conflict, he plays the role brilliantly, and he wins an Oscar for Best Supporting Actor.
0: Billy Crystal.
1: God, i crap bigger than him. (laughs) Billy Crystal's kids, who, who wind up becoming the reason why his character finds enlightenment are also kind of uh, special casting it's the first movie of Jake Gyllenhaal he plays the son and Billy Crystal's daughter was played by Billy Crystal's real life daughter one fun other casting element apparently Rick Moranis had uh, signed on to to play the role that Daniel Stern wound up playing but then Moranis' wife got sick he had to bail Stern took the role Also, two of the most heartfelt moments in the movie, one where Billy Crystal's character Mitch is telling a story about the first day that he went to Yankee Stadium. That is a real story for Billy Crystal. He still has the program, like Mitch says in the movie. That's all real. Also, one of the inciting elements of the plot is the fact that Mitch has just turned 39 and that at 5.20 in the morning... His mom, Mitch, the character's mom, calls and uh, wishes him a happy birthday by recounting in great detail the moment that she gave birth to him. This is something that also actually happens, apparently, to Pilly Crystal. That his mom calls him at 520 on his birthday. I mean, if she's still alive. That got dark. Why, would, why did that feel so much darker than talking about shootings and plagues and communism? Anyway. Released on June 7th, 1991, which means this, this is the second time that Billy Crystal, King of the Summer, before before it was Big Willie style, it was Big Billy style, this dude just rolled into the middle of the summer and owned the 90s with these PG-13 comedies. Cost $26 million to make, makes $180 million. To this day, that would be an impressive feat. Comedy rarely makes over $100 million, Which means one thing. This once-in-a-lifetime story about overcoming a midlife crisis is gonna get a sequel. Next week, City Slickers 2. The Legend of Curly's Gold. Diamond Club hopes you have enjoyed this broker. <laughs>